Verbally Effective, episode 34, your double E, Ina Esco. And today is the day we have Miss Tanya Dyson with me in the studio. Hey, Tanya. Hey. How you doing, lady? I am doing wonderful. Now, Tanya and I know each other from way back in the day, almost yes. 20 years ago. At it L- was. Yeah, yeah. that long Ooh, ago. Wow. Yeah, it was. That's crazy. <laughs> back at LeMoyne on college. I remember you were in the choir. Yeah. And you were singing your butt off. So we would go to <laughs> chapel. Yes. Yes. Do you yes. miss those days? Um, I actually do. I do. Mm-hmm. It was an odd thing. LeMoyne was a little bit different for me. Because I, I started at U of M and I transferred to LeMoyne to sing at the choir. To I sing in the choir. So, yeah, going from U of M to, like, coming to, like, this close-knit family, like, where you almost felt like you were going to school with, like, a whole bunch of cousins Mm -hmm. and different things. Because it was was big, but it was just that small, you know. So, I I really, I actually miss it. It was pretty fun. I mean, I'm still cool with a lot of the the people, even a lot of folks that don't even stay in Memphis anymore, you know, still keep in touch with them. Mm -hmm. Y'all were really close. Yeah. Y'all were really close. I miss my friend, Joe Williams. You remember Joe? Yes. Yes, I miss my friend. I miss him so much. But, um... Do you think that going to Lemoyne on that it prepared you for your music journey that you have been going through now? Um, yes, it actually did, and that was the reason why I wanted to come to Lemoyne because I was very familiar again with the with the Soulsville history. Being from Covington, you know, I followed um, and and paid attention to just the whole soul movement and looking at how Isaac Hayes moved from Covington and kind of went to Manassas and then kind of gravitated over to um, to the Soulsville area. So I kind of followed that. I've always loved the connection. That that neighborhood, you know, had with just not just Memphis music, but just music overall. You know, it's like with Stax Museum there, and then High, the you know the origins of High Records and Royal Studios right around the corner. Right around the corner. You know, with the Verdine and Marius White. You know, being in uh, Lemoyne Gardens, growing mm-hmm. up there, and starting Earth, Wind, and Fire, and then of course. You know, as we know, with Aretha just passing away, you know, Aretha yes. grew up down the street on Lucy Avenue. Down the street. You had Lucy Campbell, one of the first to chart gospel music, and mm-hmm. um, Johnny Ace, and um, the place where I work at now, Memphis Slim Collaboratory, and ma- mm-hmm. named after Memphis Slim, great blues musician. And, mm-hmm. I mean, just so much mm-hmm. musical history. And that's just a little bit. It's, it's like so much happened over there. And so I was interested in exploring that and seeing, mm-hmm. and this was, of course, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, and it's like a lot, um, this was before a lot of development was actually directed there. Stax Museum was new, pretty much new during yeah. that time, and so there wasn't a lot of development. So it was like I was really interested in trying to figure out a way to, like, help yeah. boost that area and help increase, like, the, the music awareness as far yeah. as the history of that neighborhood yeah. and how it was not just the neighborhood's history, but it was more... Like Memphis, Memphis yeah. history and just the world history when you think about it. When you think about it, yeah. Because yeah. when we were there, it it was none of that. None of going it at on all. there. We had Lemoyne Garden. We had LMG, baby. <laughs> it was LMG. LMG. And we had to like, you know, fend from the crackheads, you know, but they were our friends too. You know, they were around the neighborhood. But yeah. They didn't bother us. They didn't anything. bother. They yell out stuff. I remember, yeah. par- you know, parking. What was that? Walker Avenue parking. Yeah. And yeah. getting out of the car. They'll be like, hey, smarty art. Yeah. Uh, bookworm. Bookworm. You ain't going to say nothing, Girl, Bookworm. That was my friend. <laughs> crackhead Chris was my, crackhead Chris was my friend. Yes. <laughs> But, okay, fast forward to today. Right. So much development. So, so much. Have you been a part of that development? Um, yes, I have. I'm, I'm in the neighborhood, of course, working as marketing and program manager at Memphis Slim Collaboratory, I mentioned before, and also with the director of the Soulsville USA Festival okay. as well. So, yes. And you have your own company, Neo Soulsville. Neo Soulsville. Tell yes. us about that, Tanya. 
So again, I started. I started Neo Soul. It actually um, began back in 2004. Believe it or not, it was one of my. It was my capstone project, and I had an wow. entrepreneurship class where I had to present a business plan, and I presented my business plan on Neo Soulville. Um, and it was funny because my teacher gave me a C and said it wouldn't work in Memphis, and I had to argue Shut with. Up. I literally had to go and file an appeal about that grade Why because I had. You? I was like, he's he's going off of if he think it'll work, not how good this business plan Why? is. So I had to fight for that. Did you get? the appeal did you I did the I think, I th- I'm trying to remember did I or did I quit Karen I can't remember but either way like years later yeah. I saw him and he was like I have to admit I was wrong and oh. I was like thank you because wow. you wouldn't have accepted me telling you you were wrong right. years later but you know it, it started simply as that just a, a plan a college student I saw a lack um, a lack of overall support and um, push for soul music here in Memphis you get the legacy part of it but it's like a lot of times it just kind of stopped that we have Stax Museum and that's where it stopped and so it stopped at the Stax Musicians and that was pretty much it and so it wasn't it didn't really encompass all of the musicians that weren't maybe not on the label and then also the thing that Memphis was leaving out it's like we support a lot of legacy as far as what used to be, but there are several musicians and tons of amazing artists that exist here now mm-hmm. that kind of get outshined by the legacy artists. That's and true. I would tell people all the time that this is when I first started, you know, um, Isaac Hayes was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, Al Green was, you know, a little bit more present and, you know, doing yeah. more stuff. So, and, you know, Barkay is going and, oh, they still you gone. know, and that's the thing. It's like <laughs> as a new soul artist, it's hard to do stuff when they still have the option of calling Al Green before they call you. It's yeah, like, you so it's what? like we still have the legacy that was yeah. here. And so I wanted to do create some type of platform where, um, Again, the, I guess the soul children, the, the the kids of the soul movement right. that was here, they kind of built on that, got equal opportunity to shine because we were really lacking in those opportunities mm-hmm. where we just got bypassed. Right. And and I and I went to your website and I saw you had a quote on there um, mentioning that it was like a double-edged sword because of the Memphis rich history. Yeah. Uh, because of all these legends here, mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, do some of those older legends, um, when you do your Soulsville USA festival, do they come out? Or yes. is it more about the newer? Well, no. It's know. actually, we have um, a lot of the legacy artists come out. And one mm-hmm. of the, the cool things that we do, of course, the artists that we spotlight on the festival are new artists with okay. up-and-coming material. But we name the stages after different Memphis okay. legends. So the very first festival, um, it was... Miss Carla Thomas mm-hmm. came and she'll pop up. You know, she's mm-hmm. really shy and quiet and she doesn't. And that's the thing I always tell her. I was like, I don't think you realize like how <laughs> awesome you are. And that's yeah. the thing too. A lot of these artists, because they may get bypassed, they may not get the, you know, even though Memphis honors the legacy, it's kind of spotty. Yeah. on the legacy that gets honor. And so it's like you it's hear true. about a lot of the men on the label, but you don't really hear about, you That's know, Carla true. Thomas and the stride that she made. Or if you did hear her name, it was always connected to her father, Rufus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hear about her, but Carla was like a star. She was a big star on the sax label, and they pushed her a whole lot. And so I, I felt like she should get her flowers too because she's still alive and well and so around here. Why do you here. think that, you know, some of the women, you know, we don't hear a lot about them from the sax Time period, I know, think it's it an thriving. issue of advocacy, like who is willing to fight, you know, for who, and simple yeah. as that. Wow. And then also, I guess with Miss Carla, again, because she's so shy, mm-hmm. she wanted, she like happily kind of faded to black. Like she will decline, like if you, she doesn't like to be recognized, like she'll come and check out new talent, but mm-hmm. you know, if you shout her name out, she might leave. Like, you know, so it's like yeah. she doesn't she doesn't really want that. And she looks at it like I had all of that attention mm-hmm. it, at times. And like at times it was great, but at times it was like really mm-hmm. agitating to have to deal with the stardom and yeah. the things that came with stardom. Yeah. So I kind of understand her wanting to be, you know, step back. But I still try to make it a point to know that, you know, like we're not going to shout you out but you know we're glad you're here we want to recognize you right and just to let her know it's like you're appreciated and she mattered and people know that and she's you know recognized for it Mm -hmm. so we got soulsville uh coming up uh october 20th october 20th yes and um it's like an all-day festival it is from 11 a.m to 6 Uh, Mm p.m we try to capture most of the the daytime hours it's a perfect Mm -hmm. time to have it because it's in october late october Mm -hmm. so it's not cold it's not hot it's like that perfect you know temperature that's a good to where you can come out and you won't melt 
mm-hmm. trying to be out there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have to knock on wood because this is Memphis. This you is know, Memphis, it's like man, we could very well get 100 degree yeah. temperatures well into November. I remember right. it was 75 degrees in December one time here. I remember that too. Yeah. And so, that. so I have to not boast the weather too much because right. it's like this is Memphis I have to keep but that y'all in better come through yes please come through it's a completely free festival we have uh-huh. three stages of um, live entertainment again showcasing all the, mm-hmm. of the uh, wonderful new artists in Memphis showcasing their original music mm-hmm. um, Stax Museum is a partner you can um, visit Stax Museum for free if mm-hmm. you haven't had a chance of course they do they do do the free Tuesdays and a lot of people don't know that it's like if you have a Shelby County I didn't know that yeah if you have a Shelby County driver's license um, or some type of ID mm-hmm. You can go to the museum. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's one to four mm-hmm. on um, Tuesdays. But then, of course, the museum will be free. We have um, another partner um, with Memphis Rocks. Memphis, the South Memphis has one of the nation's largest rock climbing um, centers. Did really? you know that? No, I did like, not. Like over there, over there in time. Over there in, what is it, um, Town Center. Okay. You know, where they knocked. You know, it's like I always laugh because you remember, what was it, the Wu Market? The Wu, yeah. I used to call it Wu-Tang Market. Like for some right reason, the automatic. Right there. So, yeah. you know, they knocked that whole thing down. And so that's, sure that's where that used to be. And yeah. now the, that's the Town Center now. So right there in that spot that Wu Market was in, that's where the rock climbing. Go um, said, yes, you do. It will make you there. like want to just try to climb some rocks. I know, and yeah. I would because I'm, I'm a little adventurous. I, I might climb the rock. So yeah, come on out. We'll have that. That'll be open and accessible to the public. It's going to be programming. Um, we, and we also the, the thing about I guess being in that neighborhood and working in a neighborhood. Been going to Lamont since the late '90s, so of course I'm familiar with a lot of the ailments that happen with the neighborhood. Like of course poverty. Uh, um, number one. Right. Mm-hmm. Lack of proper transportation, having food, you know, being a food desert with no grocery store, like within the neighborhood. Where is the nearest grocery store? Now we have Cash Saver. That's Where right around. It? It's on third, like right over there in third. But it's okay. the Southgate Plaza. Yeah. That's the nearest grocery store. Okay. Outside of that, you would have to drive to Orange Mound. But then now you can't do that mm-hmm. because they closed the Kroger in Orange Mound. So now you would either have to drive on? into Whitehaven, like to... Kroger in Whitehaven or Walmart in Whitehaven or drive into Midtown. But outside of that, it's pretty far out. And then considering that most of the people travel by bus and don't have cars. And so it kind of being, you know, just basically a little food desert. So we've partnered with um, Explore Bike Share Mm -hmm. um, to kind of push uh, alternative ways of transportation. Mm -hmm. We're going to be doing free neighborhood tours. So we're going to have a tour a music music based tour and an art based tour of the okay. neighborhood riding bikes and that'll be completely free um, have you participated in the bike share program yet have you gotten on yes. one of the bikes yeah How i have it? i'm a member i, mean- I like it <laughs> I actually, i'm gonna tell you i like because i'm so lazy i was mm-hmm. like i need to buy a bike mm-hmm. but the fact that i can just hop on a bike anywhere yeah. and get on it and put it back and put it somewhere else and you could just leave it wherever yeah, right? you, yeah of course you have to leave it at a dock but at it, a it comes with station. an app okay. that tells you where the stations <laughs> are and most it's a lot of stations especially like downtown it's a ton it's a ton of stations in south mm-hmm. memphis have to shout out Rashawn Austin because she works over at the Works in South Memphis. She okay. worked very hard to make sure that a lot of black neighborhoods were included yeah. in those bike stations. Um, and just to make sure, you know, it's just she really inclusivity. Mm-hmm. I, that's the thing that I love about them. And so I got a monthly membership to where, mm-hmm. you know, I can just hop on a bike. Do you see a, a lot of the students from Lemoyne utilizing the bike share program? I don't. And I want to. I wonder why. I, and that, I've been trying to um, tap into Lemoyne, you know, as far as getting the students engage with a lot that's going on. I remember going to Lemoyne and, you know, wondering about opportunities with the neighborhood and trying to get internships. And this is when we didn't have a lot of nonprofit organizations in that neighborhood. And now, you know, you have Stacks. You have it well, Stacks and then the whole Soulsville Foundation because that's a, a, a school now. Mm-hmm. You have the um, after-school and summer program, the Music Academy. Then you have Memphis Slim House that's right across the street right, from there. Right you have there. Memphis Rocks. Um, the new owner of Town Center, um, Shadiak, he, you know, I don't know if you know him, but he's a film director that yeah. did Caddyshack and did Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. So he's in Memphis now. He owns that whole area, and he has his, he runs his production studio um, out of there, out of that area. Um, who else do we have? Knowledge Quest mm-hmm. is right down the street, and they have so like the resources. urban farm in the middle of the in the middle of the hood. You can just ride down that street and suddenly see greenhouses and mm-hmm. sunflower gardens and like different gardens yeah. and stuff. You have Memphis Black Arts Alliance. Mm-hmm. 
that's over there. And so that's all these different resources now mm-hmm. and prominent nonprofits that mm-hmm. could benefit from being attached to Lemoyne on mm-hmm. and having access to college students mm-hmm. that can, you know, have jobs or have like programming or training rather that was in walking distance. And that's something that we did not have. Wow. Then like, no, you know, we did not. We did not. But you know what? I could just see students, especially those involved in music, wanting to come around the corner to Slim House. Mm-hmm. And- cut a song or get in the studio you don't see a lot of that exactly you really don't and there you know there's a new park coming up too right there you know where the new the new housing unit or new dormitory that they just built on what is that sack yeah it's not yeah I, I went and did a Neptune. tour yes so there's a park coming up <laughs> on neptune and saxon right across that the grizzlies um grizzly foundation is doing and it's going to have a little small amphitheater and a place for food trucks and everything so hopefully that's a way um, to kind of break to bridge the gap within the neighborhood yeah. because that's one spot that kind of is right in the middle of Soulsville, you know, Everything, Soulsville yeah. and where the rest of us are. And then you have the Lemoyne on campus. So hopefully, you mm-hmm. know, can get some students involved in doing some programming, mm-hmm. have some, you know, and they can host some step shows or talent contests. We're going to get it going, Tanya. We're going to get it. We're going to build a bridge. Between the, alum- yeah, yeah, between the <laughs> alumni, me, yeah, you, get Earl, Earl involved. I've been Definitely. in McHale's because, yes. you know, he's a new commissioner yeah. over yeah, there in that neighborhood. Which LLC is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, gosh, it's just such an exciting time. It there. is. It is. Wow. And you know what? When I think of uh, Memphis Slim House, like I've been there several times to uh, listen to some recordings for some rehearsals. You know, do you see a lot of artists doing original music? Because I know when you mentioned the Salisville um, USA Festival coming mm-hmm. up, artists will be performing original music. Do you see a lot of like, I mean, from the writing to the production is it a lot of that going on or is it a lot of sampling? And It actually is. Okay. Um, what we're experiencing now is just a lack of spaces to do that original music. Okay. A lot of venues, it's, it's an odd thing. Um, you have this huge, odd separation of music. So um, I guess, you know, allowed to speak in terms of black and white, you see a lot of um, different white bands, rock bands, and different things like that. Like, they have the venues to do, you know, to go in and do their original music, sell their albums and stuff. Um, black clubs are kind of set up differently. You know, we have we have nightclubs that just happen to have a stage or happen to have an uh, area for entertainment, but mm-hmm. it's nothing specifically built around entertainment. It's a nightclub or it's a event space mm-hmm. that happens to do that turns music. into that right. Yeah. And so a lot of times, um, a lot of black artists, especially, they get locked into doing covers and doing things that appease the audience. So it's like. A lot of times, you know, and it is odd thing, especially it's a it's a real conundrum being in Memphis because this is the city of you know soul music. Mm-hmm. But we have to get to the point where we accept originality. We have yes. to get to the point where we might not know the we might not know the words to that song, right. you know, right off the bat. But you know, take a listen. Yeah, take a listen to it because it's a really good song. Buy the song, mm-hmm. go learn the words, and then come right. back, and that way you can feel familiar and be hip because you don't know the person singing them outside of the artist and do it. So I think we need to kind of cultivate. Um, our acceptance of original of original music um, and look at that and people kind of look at it like if you're not on a, a big label or haven't done a major television show mm-hmm. then it's like okay well you need to do what I know then because it's hard to accept it yeah. and it, it's a, a thing that I feel like we need to probably break is looking for outside acceptance before we accept our own. Yeah. And so it's again, we accept it as long as everyone else did. Mm-hmm. And then once it gets to Memphis, like people are like, okay, cool, I trust it when that person has been here five to ten years gigging, singing those same songs, but it took the them going on TV one. with that one song that you've heard for the past seven years for you be like, oh, I like that new song. It's like, you've heard this song 50, crazy. 11 million times. I've done it at every single, I tried to, you know, work it in to every single show. And so I, I just really would love to see a point where Memphis really accepts the the spirit that we were brought in because Stax is a major label now, but when they started, it was a bunch of, you know, a bunch of young kids on the label. It's a label that was new. A guy put up, a, you know, second mortgage on a mortgage on the house, started the label. It was not, 
Memphis has never been a big industry town. It wasn't any major labels. They started small and they made it big. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of times people look at artists now in order to be taken seriously as an artist that that writes and performs original music. You have to start big. And that's not that's not where we come from. Stacks, high records, even some records, you know, even with the rock aspects Mm -hmm. of it, because all of those are intermingled. You know, it's like you had um, Stacks and High, the artists, a lot of the the, um, session artists. We're working together. The reason why a lot of the rhythms were syncopated because you had Al Jackson playing on, on stack stuff and high stuff. So it had that good hard, you know, snare yeah. and everything like that. Or like looking at Ike Turner and how he did A and R for Sun Records, and he helped groom a lot of the rock artists that was there. And it's like never, no one really ever takes the time to really tell those stories. And like with Memphis being so polarized, I think music is a way to kind of alleviate a lot of that because music was the one thing that kind of crossed those racial boundaries yeah. and people didn't really care about color they were just it's like can you play right. that was the biggest thing it's like okay right. if you can play yeah. and you not being able to play didn't have anything to do with your color it's like mm-hmm. oh you can't play you can't be on this session you know and that right. was simply it and yeah. i think if we can really really talk about the history of memphis and the realness like the real aspect of history and not the the stuff and the idea you know the ideas that we want to kind of raised with the stuff that actually went on, I think Memphis could really move into a step to where artists have a bigger appreciation. You hear people comparing Memphis to Austin Mm -hmm. a long time ago. If you let me tell it, Austin struggled to build. What they did was model themselves after Memphis. Mm -hmm. And what they did was um, really model the things that we failed to appreciate, that we had here, but we didn't fail to, uh, we just didn't appreciate or there was no support Mm -hmm. behind it. And Austin just kind of took that. And was like, okay, this is what this is what we're gonna do, and so we're kind of leaders in the aspect of the f- fact that so many Memphis musicians are prime or just centerpieces in so many other ways. You know, we have Memphis it. musicians in L.A. dominating, dominating. You know, we just saw Evie, you know, win the you know yes, the, four, the four not too long mm-hmm. ago. We've had several artists to be on American Idol. Mm-hmm. You know, Trinice is on mm-hmm. American, you know, is on American Idol and went on with this amazing like acting career mm-hmm. to where she's even playing in the what is Motown musical yeah now and so that's M- Memphis that's all Memphis. over you know you have Lil Buck you know even in dancing and just yes. art period yes. Lil Buck is around here yep. putting jukin yeah, in certain jukin into everything yes. like now everyone's jukin mainstream so yeah and that's the crazy thing again like we as a city should promote those things and be happy about those things. The world shouldn't have to tell us that what we have is amazing. We should tell the world this is amazing and this is what you do. So I think if we can just reverse that psychology, you know, as far as how we appreciate things. Right, and reversing a psychology may be the hardest thing to oh, do. So hard when you to when do. you're talking about the mindset, it's that, so hard that's some work do. right there. It so, is. Maybe they just need a lot of grooming. Everybody needs some grooming. I don't know. I don't, maybe I don't so. Know. I always say if we can take people and just take a whole bunch of people and put them in another city for three days and mm-hmm. just kind of swap them out and just do a big, huge field trip. Because mm-hmm. I think people appreciate the city more and the art and the, the quality mm-hmm. of the caliber of yeah. art that we had to offer if they were to go to Atlanta or New York or L.A., like all these places that we're constantly being compared to mm-hmm. and compare the talent head for head. Memphis is winning in every single okay. aspect to the point where these big name stars, they're they're looking for Memphis artists. Mm-hmm. You can almost see some type of Memphis artist or an artist connected to Memphis playing for someone or yeah. they're the they're the person behind the scene that ma- that's Definitely. making this artist great. And just, you know, and that's just not even within music. I mean, recently, you know, LeBron just announced his mm-hmm. new shoe. And he picked Harlem Fashion Row. A lot of people don't realize Harlem Fashion Row is that's Brandy's Daniel. She's from Memphis okay, as okay, well. Okay. So it's like the new Nike shoe. It's like wow. he announced that, you know, at her gala where yeah. they honored her. So, so even that, that's what I'm saying. And it's like Memphis, if you look hard enough, you're going to find Memphis behind this awesome creativity that you're seeing throughout the world now. Wow. And I know that you have been um, a curator at large for a lot of mm-hmm. high-profile artists. Tell us some of the artists that you've worked with. Um, so recently, um, let me see, we just did the, the Lettucey show, um, mm-hmm. it was Lettucey, Tweet, um, and Melanie Fiona mm-hmm. that, um, did the Floetry reunion show. Mm-hmm. I've worked with, um, Bilal with Kindred Family Soul, um, top, you know, ton, tons mm-hmm. of artists. And as a singer, it's odd, as a singer, I've written for a couple of artists mm-hmm. and 
done ghost vocals and stuff on the Dog Pounds album. On the Dog Pounds album? I always shock people when I say really? that. Yes, the last two Dog Pound albums with Daz and Corrupt, yeah. like as the Dog Pound, I, I sang. I sang. Give me a little bit. Yes. What you say? Um, that was that. Do you remember Manefer? Like yeah. when the group Manefer. So it was me and me and Tamara singing on. We did two songs on one album, and then as a solo artist, I did another song um, with with them. So yeah, you've worked with so many people, and and you're an artist yourself. Now, I know you do a lot of writing. Um, what is your routine to start to sit down, buckle down, and write a song? Like, does it have to be in your heart first? I mean, what is your science some to doing it? Some songs start in my heart. Like, mm-hmm. some things I just want to write about. So I'll write lyrics without hearing any music. But most of the time, I work very closely with what I call my creative partner. This guy named John, um, Jonathan Richman. goes by John Rich. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as music wise, but he sends me tracks. We have this working Dropbox, mm-hmm. and he'll text oh, me. I, know like, I just I put some tracks in the Dropbox, and so I'll do you know do little makeshift recordings and send them you know put them back in the Dropbox so you can kind of hear melodies. Mm-hmm. So I start with kind of listening to the track, coming up with a solid melody, and so usually I'll record it um, with just la la la's or whatever in that melody until I can get the melody locked down, and then I'll start to write words to fit that fit that melody mm-hmm. so like like and, and it's amazing to me how people come up with songs and melodies because you know you probably in your head have already music and melodies like how to block that out to be different like is that hard to do um not for me i would say not for me and i consider the fact that i know a, a lot of people say it's pretty hard and they're like how do you do it i guess that's a ble- one of the blessings mm-hmm. just the many talents that i have i can I hear things in harmony a lot of times. So it's like when I hear melodies, I hear um, the harmonies and I can do arrangements. And so doing my own background vocals or figuring out arrangements, when to come in on this or when to come in on that. Like I kind of, I've always done that as a kid. I would remix other people's songs. So it's like <laughs> I would have my favorite song mm-hmm. and I would sing that. But then I had my version of the favorite okay. song okay. and we'll do it. And that's kind of like trans, you know, transferred into my art, I guess my art now. Cause I do that a lot. I love flipping um, hip hop lyrics because mm-hmm. two of my favorite genres outside of soul music which I sing is like jazz I grew up listening to jazz and um, of course I grew up during the hip hop era so I'm a you know a hip hop kid mm-hmm. um, and so I like taking hip hop songs and flipping them to jazz standards mm-hmm. and oh, and, and really adding cute. melodies you know hip hop I mean yeah it's mainly spoken and mm-hmm. so I take it and kind of sing it and put arrangements and do it like a jazz arrangement to hey, it and so that's hey. like my favorite little thing to do you know because <laughs> what it is it's like you're, you're of course you are doing covers but you're doing them in your own special way to where right. it's become a new piece almost yeah. and it kind of keeps my creati- um, creativity going so even when I feel like I have writer's block mm-hmm. or I'm focused on way too many other things and can't really free myself mentally to like really sit down and write i can still like improvise this song and Mm -hmm. so to me it's kind of like it is a creation but it's kind of like a reworking of a creation so that still kind of keeps my little juices flowing while i'm in a block or while i'm busy or whatever so what do you think about the current state of hip-hop honestly truly um you know what Mm-hmm. I, I I I go back and forth on this because I want to be a hip hop purist. <laughs> you know that's right, the funny right. thing. It's like I want to be like that's not hip hop. But then at the same time, I don't want to be that person that's mm-hmm. trying to tell somebody what their art is and what their right. art isn't. Mm-hmm. I just know now, just as an older adult, that now I kind of understand like our parents who's right. like, I don't know about all of that, you know, and all that type of stuff. And it's like, um. I don't criticize a lot. It's like if I don't like it, I just don't listen to it. I just I make it a point to try to listen to the stuff that mm-hmm. I like. Now I will tell you, I listened to Bone Thugs in Harmony yesterday and had this revelation and I was like, Okay, they they are the case that provided for the necessity of auto tune. Because mm-hmm. who was it, Busy Bone? That mm-hmm. all that had the high pitched voice that sang? Was it yeah. Busy Bone or Crazy Bone? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Listening to him now as an adult, and especially yeah. being like this big music enthusiast and educator and mm-hmm. everything, he was not hitting those notes. And it was like he was but we liked it. it. We loved it. <laughs> but it's like now it drives me crazy because yeah. I'm like, he's just a half step on that nose. Mm-hmm. Like if I could just take his note and mm-hmm. nudge it up some, like on the thing yeah. and get him. So I was like, oh, people listening to them was like, okay. 
I need these artists to at least hit these notes, like if they're gonna sing. Mm-hmm. So that's where auto tune, you know, wow. came from. And it's like I actually love the, you know, the beginning of it. Like I, it, it, like I felt like it got overused for a hot second because it kind of disguised the fact that a lot of people didn't really have talent. But like the innovators in it, like I had a chance to listen to T Pain's. I love. T-Pain. Um, I love T Pain too. Wait. I listened to his NPR Tiny Desk. Have I you heard? saw that too. And he, he did. Of course, he did it. Auto tune free, yeah. and he could hold his own. Like yeah. it made you wonder. It's like I don't necessarily need him to right. To he sing. don't really need the uh, auto tune, or does he? Yeah, he kind of reminded me of like a, a thuggish Al Green. Mm-hmm. He got it going. He's very or slightly more thuggish too. Al Green. He got it going on. Yeah, now. he got it going on. Yeah. Now. Okay, so you still liking hip hop? Who's some yeah. of your faves right now, though? Um, I you know what I still like? I still like the old school, you know, the old school folks. Yeah. Like when, we can't you know, let it go. We can't right, let it like, go. Right, <laughs> like, I cried, you know, I cried when Fife Dog died because I was like, oh, yeah. Tribe as we know it is no mm-hmm. longer existence. But, you know, I still like, I like Busta Rhymes and, you know, it was like the, that whole aspect of the leaders of the old school mm-hmm. and just that, those camps. And, you know, Jay-Z, Jay-Z has yeah. managed to kind of just be cross-generational to where he keeps reinventing himself. Yeah, he keeps reinventing himself musically, and that's you have to appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And I love, I'll tell you one thing that I do love about hip-hop, it's like the music kind of is kind of iffy with me a lot of times, but I love the fact that a lot of hip-hop has embraced the business aspect of it. So becoming this mogul and doing these things has uh, kind of, that's found its place within hip hop, like them getting a, you know, some endorsing a vodka or having right. this or this and or owning a club. Or, it did not, and they mm-hmm. were making all of their their money or trying to make all their money right. off of contracts. And like right. the contracts have gotten, you know, stricter now because now they have Much like more. these three sixty deals, of course. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that shows the power that a lot of these artists had because the industry. It's totally revamped to yeah. to to kind of make sure they get a piece of everything because they're even acknowledging like these artists are doing more stuff. They're making money from more ways than just us. Right now, we have to figure out how to get a piece of that. So that's when you right. get the three sixty deals where it's like yeah, yeah. endorsement tours, all mm-hmm. that stuff. They're getting a piece of that because they're seeing the power and mm-hmm. um, hip hop artists begin to wake up and kind of yeah. realizing the power that they actually. I'm happy. Hell, I am too. Now, I watch a lot of Unsung. Do you watch Unsung on um, TV One? It's on TV One, right? Yeah, Yeah. when I can. I unplugged from cable. It's like I unplugged from cable. So it's like the internet. I was like, I need TV One to get a solid app that I can download. They probably coming with it. (laughs) Come on, innovation, TV One. But um, I love the Unsungs about the older artists. and, And when they tell their stories, it's like you were talking about, you know, how things have changed with, um, the way they do business and the 360 deals. I mean, you would see repeatedly all of these singers and artists getting these raw deals. Mm-hmm. Like, I know probably a lot of that happened with some of the Stax artists. Do you know? Mm, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, you hear, that's the thing. You hear, It depends on who you ask. Yeah. Who, you know, what story they tell mm-hmm. as far as that. And that's kind of like any you know, Memphis musician. One person can be like, it was great. Another person can be like, it. you know, it sucked. Yeah. Um, you have... Um, O.V. Wright, who was a famous artist, you know, I know for a long time we had to put together a, what was it, a fundraiser to actually get a headstone for him. And he was an artist, mm. you know, made a lot of money on um, for high records. And so mm-hmm. you did hear those stories. Like I said, it depends on who you ask. And, yeah. you know, of course, unfortunately, those that already passed away, they can't really tell their stories. Mm-hmm. But looking at how they passed away, knowing that, you know dying with no headstone being mm. a, a popular artist and mm. nobody can buy you a $300 headstone it kind of it's pretty mm-hmm. telling on yeah. how artists were taken care of and it kind of leads to now you know back then you know especially blues blues and jazz cuz you know those were the era, that that was our that was hip hop mm-hmm. back then because that was the new Different. genre yeah. You know, that people and like back then everything, all of that was just black music. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. And jazz was like the savvier version mm-hmm. of blues. Blues was more south and more mm-hmm. country. And you had jazz that was more upscale mm-hmm. and metro and, you know, all that. But it was still all regarded as black music. Mm-hmm. And artists were, you know, they were just classically taken care of. You know, a lot of people were illiterate, like they were talented. Yeah. But they couldn't, especially in the South, because it was an economic thing. Like, if you came from a big family and you had to work the field that year, you're going to spend half your school year 
you know, picking cotton or harvesting mm-hmm. a field because if your family was farmers, you needed all the kids to be out there to work in order to have, you know, just to be able to keep your house or whatever. So yeah. a lot of the music, a lot of black music and that spirit and essentially that soul that came from it, it came from poverty. It came mm-hmm. from all, you know, illiteracy. It came from struggles. It came from racism because people told stories, especially the blues, you know, stories of being down and struggling and having hard times, whether it was with money or whether it was, you know, with racism or whether it was with a woman or a man. You know, it's like mm-hmm. people told those stories and those stories made money. But unfortunately, they did not make money for a lot of those artists, artists because they couldn't read. Mm-hmm. And because of racism, yeah. you had people that were willing to jump in and exploit. And it kind of set the tone for, like, exploitation within the black community, which we've known, you know, has been mm-hmm. prevalent since we've been here in America. And so mm-hmm. it just really, the entertainment industry especially, it's like people mm-hmm. jump into that and just kind of exploit a lot of black artists. So therefore you saw, like, people, you know, dying with no money mm-hmm. or, you know, being homeless prior to dying, even though their song could have well been being played on the radio right then and right. there. Um, you did, you know, they just couldn't get it together for whatever reasons. And then, of course, drug and alcohol, like, you know, jazz had this stigma where those things were associated with it. And that's kind of how entertainment is followed. Like, all yeah. those bad things kind of follow. Because mm-hmm. this is the thing, a lot of that wonderful music that we hear, like Comfort those songs pain. that get us by, it comes from pain. Yeah. And it comes from drug abuse. It comes from sexual abuse, from physical abuse. Like, people write these songs, but come to that. But it's like, they give us these songs and we play these songs and we glorify them, but no one really actually tries to help mm-hmm. them get past those things. So they kind of slip in and out of the darkness. So adding... You know, all your money being taken away or you signing a bad deal because you just didn't know no better or you trusted the wrong person. You told them that you couldn't read and they were like, "Okay, I got your back. And then after that, they started manipulating things and stuff. It kind of makes you sink lower into, you know, you already down and out. Mm -hmm. That's what made you create these wonderful songs. And now you got all these other situations Mm -hmm. that are hitting you. But this time, nobody's checking for your songs and nobody's willing to write a check for the songs anymore. So it's like these artists kind of slip into this odd oblivion mm-hmm. um that you know it's just really unfortunate and you see that so much and you know especially watching unsung it's like you never right. really, it, the story always oh, is that way like it's dang. so sad i think it i is. quit watching it because i was like this is just so <laughs> depressing and you know of course it's we sad. saw lady sings the blues and what happened yeah. to billy holiday and it's, especially it hits home with me because as a a woman in the industry on both sides of it, on the business side and on the musical side as a musician, you always hear these stories of like the women being married to like three or four men and all the men tried to take their money or tried to be their manager and take and, you know, beat her and make her submit and, you know, Mm -hmm. and all this other type of stuff. People just go through so Mm -hmm. much. And that's why I said, going back to what I said about Miss Carla, like that whole celebrity, like it brings good things, but it brings a whole lot of other stuff that people don't ever really want to talk about. So you understand why people be like, "Mm, I've done been there, done that. This discussion is making me think about Bobby Brown. Did you see? I didn't get a chance, but I read, I read, the book when it came oh, out. But it's, so. it's nothing but a visual for the book from right. what I hear. Oh my, he has yeah. been through so much. He's been through he's been through a lot. You know, and that's the thing, like people look like even looking at the new edition story, like yeah. they were poor kids that were taken. And it's essentially the same story. If you look at the story of New Edition, if you look at the story of DeBarge, mm-hmm. you know, the family, their family, if you look at the Jacksons, exactly. if you look at the Silvers, like all of them yeah. were poor families with extremely talented kids. Mm-hmm. And even if you look at like juxtaposed to what I was just talking about with blues and people being, mm-hmm. it's like instead of putting their kids in the field, they put their kids on the stage yeah. because that was the, the way that it was possible for the entire family to make money to get out of poverty. And get out of that. But you saw, like, how they, how people were getting greedy and everybody was picking at them and everything. And mind you, these, all of these, they're kids. They're kids. And they're going through this. And then they're forced to live these adult lives and be exposed to so much. And taking care of everyone. Yep. You and know. it's it, that's a lot of pressure. And yeah. as I said, people fold and add that if you already got issues, if you already have some type of mental issues going on, it just kind of compounds yeah. things. And it, it, it's the point where it's hard to handle. I've been seeing all the social media posts Bobby talking Brown's about it. I want to actually watch it. He was pounded. Yeah. It was a lot of sex. It yep. was a lot of drugs. 
it was it was it was a lot of death. Now mind you, I grew end. up with it. So I grew up, yeah. you know, with Bobby Brown and that tough. whole generation. So <laughs> I watched so when people were shocked about him and Janet, I was like, but that I was, don't they were on so many they were on Fresh do you remember Fresh magazine? Yeah. And like you remember all I, I, I saw I hate it. that all okay, those I magazines it, are gone. I still in my mind I wasn't putting them to like that like that. Right. Cause she, he was hitting that like, and yeah. she was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, my mom and daddy, uh, uh-uh, uh, right, uh-uh. are not gonna, <laughs> won't do this and all that stuff. I saw people's response to it, and some people were mad because they was like, he felt, they felt like he, um, sullied Whitney Houston's name, and people were like she's dead and she can't tell her story. And my thing is, I don't That's know his what story though. I was like, yeah, this is his story, and it's mm-hmm. it's his story, and she, of course, was such a big part of his life. Mm-hmm. She was in, and he was telling things from his perspective, and I was like, this is the thing, like every ounce of whatever we know about artists that were even passed away before we you know before we live so even with Aretha Franklin passing away in like 20 something years it's gonna be yes. a movie and it the crazy thing like movies a lot of movies and documentaries like that fly a lot better when the people who could actually remember who were present when it happened right. Are a little bit older, maybe forgotten a lot, but I think with new edition and with the Whitney story, like They're when they did here. the Whitney, yeah. did do the Whitney story, it's like we're all still here. We yeah. remember that, so some stuff may not yeah. match up. Some stuff may have been added for entertainment basis, yeah. so we have to conflict it. But you have, you know, the stories of again, like stories of W. C. Handy, stories mm-hmm. of Billie Holiday, like Ray Charles. No one really disputed Ray Charles, even though mm-hmm. he was here majority of the time. Like most of the stuff he did was well before we were born. Right, so and I didn't know nothing we, about. Yeah, none we of be like he didn't do that in the club because I was at that club that night. You know that right. that was something my great grandma yeah. probably would have said. But now she's in the church. She's not claiming that she went to the club Uh-oh. to see Ray Charles. Like grandma, she's not gonna talk about that no more. Look, you know, and Ray Charles was bad. I was like, half of my grandmas may have gotten with Ray Charles. Maybe they they so. not going to talk know. about that. You Ray Charles know. did that little wrist test <laughs> okay, where he was. Don't let him touch you now. Don't let Ray touch you. Right. And so, <laughs> so, so that's how it, it's so funny again because that kind of goes back to a point that I made not too long ago. It's like, oh, this stuff is just a repeat. You know, it's like everything is just a repetition. It of is. Everything. But like, like your mama say, it's nothing new under the sun. It's just. Right. But you would think that, you know, in this business, in the music business, you would know better, you know, like with these new deals, how they're more involved with uh, earning extra income and different capacities with marketing. Uh, Rock Nation, they got a bomb, Mm -hmm. you know, marketing deal with Yo Gotti, for example. Right. You just like when, when I brought up Unsung because it was like artist after artist getting a bad deal. Same story. Same Same story. story. I was like, wow, when did it stop? It didn't. (laughs) It didn't. And, you know, it's like the industry has always been revolved around exploitation. It's like mm-hmm. taking kids that live their whole life in poverty and getting, you know, and flashing a couple of thousand dollars in front of them, like, which is more than they've ever made in their mm-hmm. life. But you don't tell them. It's like, oh, I made a million off of you, but I'm going right. to give you this thousand yeah. because I know that's more than you've ever had. And you're going to be like, well, not really ask me what I made off of you right. in that aspect. And that's why I said I'm really happy to see. You know, hip hop, some of the stuff, I'm like, oh, as far as lyricism, I wish it could have mm-hmm. gone a little bit better. But as far as business acumen, yeah. I can at least appreciate that because yeah. a lot of these young kids, they're not going mm-hmm. these days. And it's no, like right. they're on top of it. You have more people. And you had, um, again, Ray Charles, James Brown, like they kind of set the standard as far as um, how they did They were cold Aretha, with their business practices. Aretha, and that's why I said a lot of people that we did not give Aretha her flowers while she lived. And then people always talk about she was petty and always demanded oh, yeah, that she called her queen. She was a diva. She had to be because if she didn't, if she didn't insert or assert her diva people wouldn't have get, given her that. Because, yeah. you know, just like how we talked about a lot of the women on the mm-hmm. Memphis labels didn't get a lot of the spotlight. There. It's like mm-hmm. people just typically did women and they expect the women to kind of play the softer side and, right. and do this thing. And Aretha just wasn't going. Like, she couldn't trust people. She had a very hard life. Mm-hmm. She couldn't trust half the people that, you know, people that she grew up feeling like she needed to trust. Mm. Um, and so... You would see her, like, we always wondered why was Aretha on stage? Like, how was she coming out on stage with her purse and her her fur, co- her fur coat? She didn't trust nobody. That Dang, was like a $20,000 well, fur coat. And Aretha's like, age. I wish I would leave this fur coat, but I don't know none of y'all in this green room. Or, like, she demanded cash. 
and you had to give it to her before she stepped out on that stage. Aretha, Aretha was playing. standing in your face and be like, I need the rest of this money. Right. Like, I ain't the band playing my song. They're going to look crazy if I don't go out there. <laughs> oh, like, and they would have to come up with that money. She would tuck it in her purse and oh, walk right on out there on that stage. She did that for Kennedy Center Honors. You remember when she mm-hmm. when they honored Carol King and she yeah. came out and sang Natural Woman? Had her jacket on. Her that tickled me so like, bad. What is going on? That tickled me so bad. <laughs> and she came out with that fur and the purse. I didn't know that was why, Tanya. That's why. Because she's all, you know, she just did, she couldn't trust anyone. And you, wow. when you have to think about the industry, like the pressures that you're forced to create, create mm-hmm. and, and out of, if you look at all these artists, you know, like Aretha, like Ray, like, mm-hmm. you know, Isaac and now here and all of them, like the era that they grew up in where you had Jim Crow racism, yeah. like attacking, you know, in the South. And then you just had all of these things that they faced mm-hmm. and the fact that they still produce some of the best music yeah, that we probably, you know, that we've heard and that we probably will hear. Like mm-hmm. uh, people from 100 years now, it's going to be considered classical music, yeah. you know, as far That's as that crazy. standard. Um, because it'll be old enough. It'll be an old enough genre. Even hip-hop in those aspects. Just the terms that they were forced to create in and the things that they had to overcome mm-hmm. and still manage to do it and not be crazy. Or the yeah. people that did it and did mm-hmm. end up crazy. You kind of understand. Yeah. It's like, I see why you went crazy. Yeah, like, really. Yeah, really, like, like everybody in your family is expecting you, mm-hmm. you know, to, to live off of you and not really contributing anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I expect this from you because I know you got it. But no one contributes to your success, but everyone right. uh, everyone wants you to contribute to their livelihood, That's benefiting crazy. from your success. And it's the same story. Yeah, and same it's like story. people have feelings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, artists especially. I think artists, I know I do. I feel a lot more sometimes. I feel like I feel too much sometimes mm-hmm. so it's like and that's again that's what inspires us to write because we do feel all these feelings yeah. and it goes out on paper and goes you know into a microphone and ends up coming out you know however it comes out mm-hmm. but it's like dealing with all this other stuff mm-hmm. compounded with yeah with that it's a lot you know yeah, it is a lot it's now, a lot do you think that there will be another genre created of music Ooh, i guess okay so hip-hop may hip-hop, have been like the, the last one yeah, the last one, and that's evolved so much mm-hmm. to where it has like all. Now you have subgenres, and you know, like you have electric soul, you yeah. have neo soul, you yeah. hip hop, electronic, have, right? Mm-hmm. And then even with jazz, we're starting mm-hmm. to see we're seeing this re, you know resurgence with jazz. These new jazz artists like Gregory Porter and Robert Glasper, and you know, and and how they're taking jazz and kind of creating this new genre of jazz blended with hip hop because they, again, they're, they're classically trained. Yeah. And they're classically trained in music, but then they listen to hip hop. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, you're taking all of those influences and kind of like merging it. it. Yeah. I do too. I like anything that people kind of step out and do and just create. Cause you know, it's like all the music greats say that, you know, it's like they, everybody, when they started out, they kind of did it differently than what the norm was. And people, kind of you know looked down on it it was like what are you doing or you're breaking the code or you're you know diluting the genre or whatever and it's like they changed it you know for the better and they made it evolve and I think that's what music is built for to always build up on it you know and just evolve and not really stay the same just build on that but do something different because everyone has something different to add to it Mm -hmm. so yeah you know what you are such like a knowledge of music I'm loving this now, now, what I do want to talk about, though, okay, before we wrap things up, now, I remember I was on Facebook, girl. I was going down my time. <laughs> and I see that you had went to Cuba. Yes. And, and so you were, you know, posting about your great trip to Cuba. How was Cuba, first I of all? I loved Cuba to the point where I'm, I'm planning, like, uh, multiple, like, I want to go back a couple of times through the year. I found mm-hmm. someone, actually, that works at the Black Arts Alliance right around the corner from me in the neighbor in Soulsville mm-hmm. that is Cuban, um, Cuban descent. A real deal. And, yeah, still owns a house in Cuba and does tours Oh, there. that's a, the so, right one. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so, like, I've been, I, I wanted to go on that trip because I've always loved um, Cuban music. I've always been curious about Cuban music. Was it music. more, like, about music? And you you were attracted to the music side, or you just wanted to go there because you know the laws had kind of lifted up for you right. to travel to Cuba. I think the music is what drew me to it, and mm-hmm. the, through following the music, I kind of got insight, deeper insight with the people, mm-hmm. and just how salsa music is kind of built into the culture. So it's mm-hmm. like that fact, the fact that everyone 
did you know did the salsa dance and you know it's like and their connection with music and it being connected to their spirituality like just that their inner self it's like it was that embedded into the culture mm. and i just i thought that was interesting and i also love the way that cuba cuba never hid its african roots like that was never a thing that it did and i remember watching sesame street as a kid mm-hmm. and uh you know sesame street exposed us to a whole lot a of stuff lot. that we Everything. wouldn't have been privy to and they were one of the they were kind of, you know, a leader in that aspect mm-hmm. as far as cultural inclusivity and just making sure that kids saw themselves or they saw other people and they got to see the world just by sitting in that screen. Even if they never left the neighborhood, mm-hmm. you kind of saw the world, you know, mm-hmm. through Sesame Street. And so they brought Celia Cruz on Sesame Street when I was a kid. I was probably like five and she was speaking Spanish. And it blew my mind because, you know, of course, growing up, you know, in in the South here in America, I only knew, I only thought that black people existed Mm. as one thing. And, of course, I read read the books. Unfortunately, I grew up in a household that was very culturally rooted. And so I had books. I had access to knowledge. So I knew about our connection with Africa and different things like that. But I didn't really, I don't think at that early age I really grasped the the diaspora, like how big it was and how how many people got pulled from Africa, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, and how— that African culture went on to these other places to create like all this whole new mm-hmm. culture where it's so it's like watching Celia Cruz and then it's like her speaking and talking in Spanish. My mind was blown because at that point <laughs> I always thought I just thought like Mexican people and like people that weren't black, they that that was their culture. So I never saw blackness into that. And then it opened my eyes and I was like, okay, like Cuba's dope. So I always like listen to like a lot of the Cuban music and then listening to like the um, music that came from Cuba and then like Puerto Rico where you had the the Fania All-Stars and all of them traveling and doing like this super like soulful salsa music. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I really wanted to go there, really, I've been kind of exploring the the similarities between soul and salsa. Because it is. It's all very African rooted. It's about keeping that beat and the drum and the syncopation and like that that beat, kinda like the heartbeat and it's keeping that in there. And so it's a lot it's a whole lot more similarities than differences mm-hmm. in asset you know, in, in essence. And then even taking that and then looking at Brazil, you know, and the, like the Brazilian jazz and Brazilian music. The only difference is same soul, same thing. They just speak in Portuguese. Right. But it's the same feeling. Like, we may not know what they're saying, but we feel you what they're feel saying. It. Like, I think I know. Like, she, that, her heart is broken. Whatever she's talking it. about, I can mm-hmm. tell her heart. So kind of looking at the, the connection with that. And so I just, Cuba was the, you know, with it being open now, I, I felt it necessary. I was like, okay, I want to go there before they fool around and close the borders again. And we okay. can't, you know, something happened. Um, and then we can't go there. But I just, I fell in love. There was music everywhere. And when I say everywhere, like, everywhere we stayed in old havana um and the people were just so soulful and i loved it the fact that it was even like who you would consider thugs like random dudes if you play some salsa music like they they'll look dance. hard they'll, they'll still break out the little two-step looking hard smoking a cigarette just hey. getting it and it's like it was in everyone and it wasn't a thing you know as people now it's like folks act like they're scared to dance and you know men it's kind of become like i guess anti-masculine to even yeah. dance now and it's like man you go to cuba men swiveling their hips and, hey. and getting it and, and go back to being the hardest thug after that song go off you mm-hmm. even know it's a part of their culture it, exactly and they look and they're healthy because mm-hmm. of it not only do they have a wonderful like the the medical field there because it's free like their doctors are mm-hmm. free you know they can go to school for free but people are healthy because they they dance they move. It's a lot of movement involved. And that within itself, I think, is very African in the sense that as far as the beat and always mm-hmm. moving and different things like that. So I always wanted to explore those connections. You was getting your dance on? I was trying. You was trying. Yeah, I, was I know trying. the men was helping you. They were helping you. I was trying. They love. Oh, my God. They love them some American women. I bet they do. Yeah, they were always. That's the thing. I was so confused on exactly why they love American women. Why like, not, though? Right. And so it's like, <laughs> what perspective? Like, what? <laughs> what is this perspective that you have? Like, what is it? But as we had so much fun, mm-hmm. and we just we had so much fun as being carefree black girls in another country mm-hmm. where we halfway spoke the language, had but we were there. Bit. Yeah, it's like traveling. Spanish is one of those things you can pick it up. You have to mm-hmm. kind of immerse yourself in it, mm-hmm. and you can as long as you know the basics for a lot of yeah, stuff. And basics. more people know English than what 
they let on because other countries, vet, you know, it's like mm-hmm. people learn English because it was like America is, a, you know, a top country. So a lot of countries are bilingual where, mm-hmm. you know, we just know yeah. English. Yeah. Like a lot of places you go, you know, not learning that, not just traveling to Cuba, but also I sang on the on a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. For well, yeah, I did that with the BB King, the BB King All Stars. Okay, that's a unique opportunity. Um, I'm surprised a lot of people don't know about that either. It's a lot of BB King signed a contract with Holland America Cruise Lines, and they have the BB. It's the BB Kings. I think they call it the um. It was the Queens Lounge originally, but now it's called BB King's Club on the ships. Mm. So it's uh, where did top, you go to? Oh man, we did the islands. Um, so like the Bahamas, mm-hmm. Virgin Islands, um, Puerto Rico, um, and then we sailed across the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took us about a week. The whole thing took about roughly about four and a half, five months to do the entire tour. Wow! Then we, um, then we did the Mediterranean for about two months, mm-hmm. and we yes. we were in um, Portugal. We stopped in the Azores, which That's what I'm beautiful. About. We were in Spain. We mm. were in Italy. We were in Greece. We went to Santorini. I got to like, you know, go on Santorini, top of the mountain. Yes, it's oh. so beautiful. We were we did a couple of cities like in Greece. We were in Rhodes, um, in Italy. You know, we got to we ported in um, what is it? Um, the port of Rome, which um, Civita Vecchia, I think that's how you say it. I never said it right. Somebody will always correct me every time I try to say it. Look, I'm not even going to try to correct port, you. It starts with a C, <laughs> and it's called the port of Rome. But it's about 45 minutes outside of Rome. We would port there. And so every 10 days, we would reset by going there. And just beautiful countryside. Mm-hmm. Like the Mediterranean. It has so much good food. Mm. So I, when I tell you I ate like a pig, but I lost I so much food. weight. I I don't know how. I guess because it was just fresh food and it didn't yeah, have I any. That. It wasn't GMO produced. It didn't have any MSGs. It was like very healthy. You know, I ate tons of seafood, tons of salad, especially in Italy because you know down down the coast and mm-hmm. along the waters. I want all the seafood. It was yeah. and it was so now so did, good. Did you all perform every night on the ship? Um, we perform. We did ten day cruises and we would perform seven to eight nights out of the mm-hmm. 10 days mm-hmm. on the cruise. And then we had approximately about two nights that we got off. And I know you all were like the highlight of the ship. We were. We were like yeah. we were like celebrities. That was something to get adjusted to as well yeah. because we were – it is funny because B.B. Kings is like the, the bands would be this mass infusion of blackness mm-hmm. on the ship. Like you knew. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew we were with B.B. King's band mm-hmm. because that was like literally the blackest thing on the ship. Really? Yeah, you would have like – a lot of times like the spa food. people. And that's the thing. You, you got yeah. to know the staff because it was so weird as far as how – Different people work. They came from different countries and they work different positions. Yeah, so so yeah. you kind of got to see that weird hierarchy on the ship as far uh-huh. as like how people were paid and they went by the labor laws of mm-hmm. the country. So it, that was an odd thing to see. But we saw it was people that came from like Jamaica. We met. It was a lot of like South Africans and people from Zimbabwe, from all over, all over the place. And mm-hmm. so you just got to meet so many different people from around the world who also had traveled in, you know, various ways. And so I think it was a it was a wonderful experience. After we left the Mediterranean, we went up north and we were in the Nordic. So mm. at that point we were porting in Stockholm. It was Sweden. cold. It was kinda cold in certain places. The mm. northern the northern, you know, we went the colder it would be mm. like Helsinki. I think we got to Helsinki maybe in June and it was sleeting outside. Mm. So stuff like that. But we were all in the fjords where we were mm. riding past um um, with glaciers and Ooh. going, and, you know, we went to Oslo, Norway, and just mm-hmm. all those. They went to Iceland to the Blue Lagoon like the mm-hmm. next day after I got off the ship. Oh, so I was mad about that because I want <laughs> I wanted to go, but like I said, it, and that's a that's an opportunity that a lot of Memphians don't know about. But it's something that's exclusive. I, I think they they kind of shop for musicians outside of the city now. But at first, it was exclusive to Memphis musicians. So the whole world was going out and getting this. Um, crash culture, wow. you know this this little cra- crash course in Memphis it. culture, and so I think yeah, I think I thought it was, it was just really awesome. I mean, I started that question off with with Cuba. We we got into Helsinki and everywhere else, right? But we gonna bring it back, bring it back to Cuba. So when you got home from Cuba, <sighs> what happened when you got home from Cuba? I got robbed, man. I got robbed. You that's got the thing robbed. about that's the thing about traveling. You have to be careful about who watches you. And that's it. I don't really want to say that that's like a Memphis thing. I think that's no. just anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. it's like 
not paying attention, you know, the basic stuff, not blowing your car up where, you know, with suitca- tons of suitcases where people can see you and just guess like, oh, she's about to be gone for a minute right. and that type of thing. So, but yeah, I, uh, my, uh, <laughs> yeah, came home, my apartment was broken into, uh, all my stuff was taken. So I kind of had to. To start all over again, that which was crazy. I, you know, the thing about it, I was I was sad about it. When I tell you, I was like, I cried. I, I can cried. tell from your post on Facebook, it was just like, oh my god, like to go on a just a wonderful trip like that and come right. home and you have been victimized, like right? That. And it was just the violation. Like I got over. Fortunately, I, you know, I had you know, insurance, so I didn't have to worry about the stuff. But it was just the fact of feeling violated and having someone in your space uninvited. And you yeah. don't know what they've touched or what they've right. done to everything. So whatever they did leave, mm-hmm. it left a, it cast a weird shadow on mm-hmm. what was left because of the fact that, you know, you don't know what happened to it. So it didn't feel yours anymore. You didn't have that personal like attachment to it so i ended up kind of just starting all over from scratch and you know had to you know find a new place to stay and buy all new stuff so i did i moved a couple of months after that fortunately i'm I'm a part of um, a wonderful um art creative based community i moved into the art space building I love it. I love staying near, you know, creatives. My neighbor has a whole grand piano in his apartment. Yeah. It's it's musicians, it's dancers, it's visual artists, poets, uh, just everyone, like all different types of people. We have culinary artists and fashion designers and hairstylists and, you know, just all kinds. So it's really cool to kind of. Be in that creative spot because you know, like in saying any type of apartment aspect, you kind of hear all of the noises from everyone else, and it's just cool to kind of hear this person banging on stuff. You know, they're a sculptor, so it's like you hear them banging and chipping away, wondering, it's like they must be doing something really cool. You hear it speed up, you're like, oh, they got the inspiration, they really, you know, banging it out, or hearing. A neighbor working on an arrangement and kind of hearing the same chords over and over again, but seeing it kind of build. Please do. We have the grand opening on November 8th. Wow. I think, and I'll be performing um, there, but it's going to be a huge grand opening, completely open to the public, and we'll be doing building tours. So a lot of the apartments of the artists will be open because a lot of people will be doing open studio where they'll be painting or sharing their artwork or doing mini performances. So or that's just like a, a trade-off with you all staying there. You you have, you're committed to performing. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So is that the only commitment? Um, That's pretty much just, yeah. you know, but as you want to do being, that anyway. Yeah, being a, just, you just need to be a working, a working artist <laughs> and, you know, within that, within that aspect. And so that like I said, awesome. it's just really cool to kind of be around that, that creativity. That so energy, even with yeah. the robbery, like I feel like that happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I can be a hoarder in some essences. You know, it's like I, I had a hard life growing up. You know, so a lot of the things that I got, I want to hold on to them. So I'm like, these are mine, and it took so much to to mm-hmm. get these things, and I'm never letting them go. And then to have everything that you kind of love ripped away from you without sure. you having to say so, it kind of really made me think like. Mm, it really wasn't important to me like I thought. You know, and it's like reevaluate everything. Yeah, I was more upset just from being violated, just to have somebody in my house and touching my things and just going through my stuff without my permission. And it's like it really, it really forced me to like prioritize and really find out what matters. And I think it kind of reset me creative, you know, um, creatively. Did I say it right? Creatively. You got it. It's like I got tongue tied a little bit. But yeah, it it gave me a a huge reset in my life to help me reprioritize and refocus. And I felt like I I had writer's block before that. And it's like I felt the real creative block as far as being an artist. I couldn't really create. That's why I really, really just hammered down on the business aspect of it. Because I was like, okay, if I can't do music in this aspect, I can do it in this sense because just my brain couldn't function on that end of it but then after the robbery it's like that that feeling of letting go Mm -hmm. and that freedom that came from that and the again the refocus just that hard reset it's like Mm -hmm. realizing what really mattered and what doesn't matter at all and kind of just figuring that all out it's like that robbery helped me put that into perspective and i don't think i would have done that i wouldn't have been that introspective had that robbery not happened i would have been staying in that same apartment Dealing, you know, dealing with the same things and then kind of getting forced out of that. And it also showed me it's like God had something way bigger for me, yes. but needed me to let go of the stuff that I was holding on to. And it's like, 
mm-hmm. to the point where I probably got several signs and I needed to let go and I didn't. It was like, okay, I'm finna so just send somebody. He had to go to bam, bam, yeah. bam, 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 bam. And I'm gonna send you to Cuba. Okay. To where you know it ain't gonna hurt you while it's happening. It's like right. you in a whole other country, but I'm about to take all he this stuff it. away from you. But he it's like it. I was given so much more after that, and it's all. So it's like when I talk about the rabbit, it's like it actually. I feel like it, it kind of it it knocked me on my butt, but it gave me the time to think. Like that was the time that I needed to think without any distractions, not having a TV, not having a laptop, not having an iPad, like all these focus. things. Yeah, and I was able to focus on being me and like, what do I want to do? What how? What do I want to? to say what type of artist do I want to do what is my place in the world it's like it gave me time to really think about that and figure out like what am I supposed to be doing and it's like I just had this whole plan for my life revealed to me like and it just took me letting go of my own plan for my life to realize like this is what I'm supposed to be doing and this is what I should be doing that is so beautiful so yeah so does that mean that Tanya Renee Dyson has an album dropping soon yes believe it or not I've always I've had pretty much an album always waiting but I again me being so afraid to share myself because a lot of my songs were intimate and it's a lot of stuff that I went through and a lot of personal stuff and I was like I don't really want people in my business we want it and people would be like well what you write the song for if you don't want people and I was like I don't know I needed to get that energy off of me so I've written the song but it's like now y'all want to hear the song and I was like, I don't feel like singing singing about a boyfriend I got over five years ago. We want to hear it anyway. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing I realized. It was like, once I, once I write the song, I write the songs to get that emotions off of me. And then I basically just put it out there. Because just like that song helped me to release, it's meant to help others to release. So now I'm getting, it's like, music is to be shared and not to be hoarded. I told you I was a hoarder. So it's like, you did I, I hoard I hoard things, but I also hoard emotions. And so it's like, I didn't want to share them with people. And it may have been embarrassment or feeling this way, but it's like realizing now, it's like, everybody goes through this stuff. And sometimes people need soundtracks to get through. And so that's the purpose of an artist to kind of provide these soundtracks to healing. And yeah. so, and in that, I kind of, I found my own healing. That's what kind of helped me be like, okay, I'm putting this music out. So yes, to answer your question. Yes. In the the longest way possible, like I just did. Yes, new music for me is coming. When? Um, soon. I'm trying to get. You know, I have to. This is the thing too. I realize I'm not Superwoman, so it's like okay. I I manage a whole bit. Bu- yeah, you know, you two two on. businesses and a festival. So once I get past my busy season at the end of October, I'm really gonna focus on myself okay. with. With my artwork and putting out music and I'll all be that following stuff. Following up with you, yes, I mean, I'll be sending you stuff. Following up with you, um, please do. I need that accountability, so yes. I need people to be like, yes. "Girl, where's this music?" Like I'll, you told me, I will, so, I will. Like, please do that. I need it. Now you got Soulsville coming up on October twentieth, and how can everybody get in touch with you, Tanya? A um, couple of different ways. A um, couple of websites that you can follow. Of course, you can follow um, neosoulville.com um, for. All my stuff business-wise, you can go to TanyaDysonMusic.com for me musically or follow me on social media um, for the festival. You can go to SoulsvilleUSAFestival.com. And for my other ventures, like Memphis Slimhouse, you can go to MemphisSlimhouse.com to find out, you know, what we're doing with artists there. Because we're doing some amazing work with artists there, again, lending to that, building a platform for new artists and providing a space, a safe space for them to create and collaborate with each other to kind of build these relationships that are needed to kind of take their career to the next level. So, mm-hmm. as I said, if I'm not singing music, I'm always, I live music pretty much. So, it's like do. I'm always doing something. Uh, and I'm thinking, like, as we've been talking, like, what am I going to name this episode? It's definitely going to have something to do with music or creative or it's going to be, it's always one word, but it's going to be something like that I already know because of our conversation that we've been having. Okay, so, great. So I'm excited, so... Thank you so much for visiting Verbally Effective Podcast, Tanya Dyson. Thank you. You were an awesome guest for episode 34. Thank you. Thank you. Have you seen a valley green with spring where my heart can go? Over the shadows and the rain To a blossom-covered lane